Welcome, my friends. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It is Friday, May 27th. We are here live. It is a freaky free-for-all Friday. John and Joel are joining me. Phone lines are open. Calls are already starting to come in, so jump in and join us. Anything goes today. If you have a question, a comment, a topic, anything at all you want to talk about, the weirder the better. I like to end the week on a lighter note, have a little fun with it. So we'll get to your calls here pretty quickly. Go ahead and start lining them up. 855-950-3835. I have just a couple things on my list. And we'll bring in John and Joel and find out what's on their mind. And then we'll get to your calls and questions. Um, One of the uh, things, obviously, we've been talking a lot about is the economy. And it's what I spend most of my time watching right now. It doesn't appear that there is any way to avoid the recession. Not everybody agrees on that, but I just don't see any way out of where we are now other than a recession. That's what ultimately will bring prices back in line. Um, most of the economists that I follow are predicting probably 12 to 18 months is what we're looking at. And all of the numbers right now are starting to signal that that, that change is happening. So all of the numbers we've been talking about setting records are starting to turn. The real estate market is turning. Um, Sellers are now lowering their price more often than raising their price. Those are the shifts we're starting to see. Equipment orders, uh, for a while you could put in all the equipment orders you wanted, you weren't getting them. Now those orders are being canceled. The stock market is acting a lot like it does when we're at the top. We've got big up days, then big down days, lots of volatility. That's what we tend to see at the top. This has been a really volatile week. It's actually been a very volatile month for the stock market. So we'll keep an eye on that kind of stuff, but it looks like the, the market is about to make that correction. And I think 12 to 18 months is probably a pretty good prediction, meaning uh, if we're going to be in this for 12 to 18 months, you could start looking for those big opportunities probably six to eight months from now is when a lot of that stuff is going to start uh, making itself known. All right, let's, uh, let's bring... John in and you know what let's just bring them both in so we can just talk over each other like we're so good at hey guys good morning <laughs> how you doing on that good see I won't even say which one I'm saying good morning to that way you can both talk <laughs> all right we're, hey. we're gonna all have to do this in one room at some point so we could have like a hand signal or something yeah that would be fun we, we need to do that Looks like I need to get back out on the road with the coach again. Not. I'm, <laughs> I'm, good, I'm good for the summer. I'm staying right where I am. Uh, although summer hasn't even started here yet. I don't know what's going on this year. Um, it still feels like March here. I swear we haven't had any real haven't had any real heat yet. We've had an awful lot of rain. So I don't think we have to worry as much this year about uh, wildfires as normal because it's, it's pretty wet. 
Uh, I've got one thing, and then we'll uh, we'll throw it to you guys and see what you've got. You know, I don't know that I've ever even heard this term. This is a part on a Freightliner. Um, the CPC, the Common Powertrain Control Module. I don't think I've ever even heard that term. Um, it's a little computer board kind of thing. And they are being stolen all over the place, I guess. Um, one one uh, auction, where was that auction? One auction in Pennsylvania, Marietta. Um, two dozen trucks had this module stolen out of it. An owner-operator came back to his truck, had a hole in his passenger window, figured they stole the stereo or other stuff in his truck. All they wanted was this module. I guess it's easy to get. You take a couple screws out of the dash, pull the thing out. Um, where did I see this price? These things are, are, I guess, being stolen all over the place. The ones they're looking for from 2014 to 2017... But I also saw a price in here somewhere. These things are selling uh, on the secondary market for some crazy price. Where did that go? Um, they've been on national back order for over a year, and it takes five months to get one right now. Uh, it's a $1,400 part. They're selling for as much as uh, $5,000 online. If you can find one. Uh, wow. Yeah. I, I've never even heard of that part. That's 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 interesting. So it's the powertrain control module, PCM? Yeah, the, yeah, I mean, they're they calling it the it, CPC, Common Powertrain Control Module. Okay. That's crazy. I'll... They're, they're, so there are generic powertrain control modules out there now that uh, we use in motorsport where you use, uh, you know, now if I were to build a new car now, I would have a steering wheel with a bunch of buttons on it and it would interface with the control module that handled the power to everything under the sun, including the shifting. And they're totally open. You can do whatever you want. You've got inputs and outputs and you can make it do all sorts of things through some computer software. I just wonder why someone, you know, if that's the case or if this is some legacy electronics that, you know, some plant didn't get back up and running again or whatever after COVID, why isn't the aftermarket jumping in here and making something? Like that to me seems like an opportunity, especially if they're going for like five grand a piece. Yeah, well, actually, I just found another line here. They're saying that uh, chips inside the CPC are so in demand that black market prices top $8,000. For this part. Wow. Yeah. And when it's, you know, this owner operator, he's looking at, you know, five months with no truck right now, because that seems to be about the soonest you can get one in if you get on the list uh, is five months. That's just crazy. And like I said, I all the calls we take here, all the problems, all these years, I, I don't think anybody's ever called when this was the problem. Or if it was, we didn't know that it was, but... Why are they so in demand all of a sudden? It is interesting. Yeah, I, I, I'm not exactly sure what what's going on there. Huh. Yeah, it's uh, it's a 
it's a big enough problem that Daimler trucks released a, uh, they put out a press release. Wow. <laughs> Crazy stuff. Yeah, that's, again, some enterprising. The thing is, you'd, you'd come up with one or come up with a workaround for that just in time for the chips to all of a sudden be available and cheap again. Maybe that's why no one goes over the to make an aftermarket part to do the same thing. You would think. Um, quick update. Fuel is up again, 18 cents for the week. Uh, and the trend wasn't good. Monday, it was up zero then one cent, two cents, five cents, and then finished up Friday, 11 cents. So uh, doesn't look like fuel prices are coming down anytime soon. So what we talk about on the show is just that much more important. Oh, absolutely. You got to wonder how much, uh, you know, I've been following, you know, I, I get a different view of the economy from, from, from my seat as we've talked about in the past. And this, deal that I got invited to last week which looks like I'll have a gig with them for the rest of the year if not forever if I want it. This Ferrari thing, I mean, I feel like I just spent a week with Lifestyles of Ocean Famous. It, it was so over the top. And when you talk to these people and go to dinner with them, they have zero concerns about the economy. Like they are it, it's like nothing I've ever done before. I mean, I, I've always worked with, you know, really tight budgets and had to be super efficient with teams that I've worked for and doing this professionally. It's always been really hard. Don't get me wrong. I've dealt with wealthy people. This is a whole nother level. I, I watched the guy buy crash one car and buy two more while he was there. And these are $300,000 cars. <laughs> like I, I'm going to put it in order for two. We're going to fix that when it's going to become my track day car. And, you know, these are people who've sold big tech businesses and things, and it's just over the top. And, and I honestly think, you know, just to generalize it, they may be the people who are actually benefiting from high prices right now. Because if you look at corporate profits, look at the profits of the oil companies right now, if you want to be discussing, it's, it's, it's insane. Um, and it, I think that they're so far up that they're actually benefiting from the rest of our pain. I won't tell them that in person, but it's just, uh, it, it's crazy. Well, it, it was nuts. Like I, I'm still like pinching myself and I raised my daily point to the point. And again, just as a point of reference, it was way more than I used to make in a week at Pittsburgh power. And that was my daily rate. You're right. There is, there is a lot of that going on. And it seems as we get to the top, it's happening even more. There is still a lot of money out there. There's still a lot of people spending crazy amounts of money, but it, it just, I think the signs are there now that can't go on. Now, how bad do those people get hurt at the very top? Uh, you know, it really depends. You've got people at the top that are spending money like that, that don't really have it. It was just easy to borrow money. Yeah. It was easy to generate money. It was easy to get investors in. It was just a time where money has been really easy to come by. And, and that's what causes inflation. When money's that easy to come by, it just generates all kinds of demand. And it happened at a time when we had very limited supplies. And we're seeing that. We're still seeing shortages, but we're also seeing those signs that this market is starting to turn. I mean, here we still have this part being stolen um, and we can't keep trucks on the road. But on the other hand, I'm seeing more and more posts on social media, drivers and owner operators looking for 
their next company to go work for or drive for. I'm seeing more and more of those posts as well. And I think we're going to start seeing uh, the trucking companies start to fail. I don't think we're very far away from that. Yeah, I think you're, I think you're spot on with the, the washouts coming here. Um, and, and again, I, I think how fast this all occurs, um, will really kind of, uh, uh, dictate how the successful companies are going to be able to run in the ner- near term future. Um, I, I think if, if we see this washout happen relatively quickly, uh, it's going to bring a bunch of drivers into the marketplace that, you know, can go to work for the more stable companies. Uh, we're going to see demand tighten up a little bit, which is going to help the drive rates back up. We're going to see the fall off here and then eventually things are going to start to come back up. So, um, it's going to be interesting to see how this all develops. I, I know there are several companies out there that, you know, we share information with and, and work back and forth with that are kind of taking the same position on it. You know, they're, they're waiting for the washout. We think we're going to pick up drivers and, and, uh, we'll actually come out stronger on the other side. So it, it, it's definitely going to be interesting to see how this works. Yeah. This, uh, this article about this part shortage, they are talking to the one actually is a, a small fleet owner, but his problem right now is, and, and, He's one of these cases that I have a feeling was so close to the edge. Read his story. started driving in 2009, uh, and just in the last couple of years, um, started buying trucks. And right now, of his three trucks, two of them are in the shop, one of them with this part down that he has no idea when he may get it back out on the road again. You look at that... You guys know the numbers. Um, Three trucks, you're not generating a ton of extra income. In fact, a lot of guys running three trucks don't even realize it, but they could be barely breaking even or losing money on their second and third truck. Now you park them at a time like this. Um, A company like this, you know, a couple of trucks, these guys are just, you know, casualties waiting to happen. Yeah, and, and I think the people that, that got in recently here that they're seeing this run up in transportation and and they got in recently and, and they really haven't had time to establish relationships to find parts like this. I mean, we work very, very hard to maintain relationships with multiple different parts vendors. Um it's been more challenging for us to get parts, but has it sidelined us? Absolutely not. Um, you know, Shane, my shop manager, he basically full time on the phone, just constantly talking to people, maintaining that relationship to make sure that we can get hands on parts when, when we need them. Um, sometimes it gets a little ugly price wise, but you know, it, it is what it is in, in times like these. And, uh, when you get a fleet of four or five trucks, the guy's been in the business for three years and now we've got a situation like we've got now they really don't have the relationships established in order to call in a favor and say hey i really need this part a lot of times these dealers have these things in reserve and it's their their trusted people that they deal with that's where those parts are going so i i can see what you're saying you know the 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 guys that just haven't been around that long are really going to suffer 
Yeah, that relationship uh, with the shop is another good point. It's something we've talked about forever, and this is a good time to have a relationship like that, and it's a bad time not to have one. Because you're right, these there's nothing fair about how business works. You might be sitting in a shop for three or four days, and that shop might tell you that they don't have the part and for all you know, the truck in the bay right next to you just got your part. It happens all the time. But that's that's how business works. And honestly, it's how it should work. Uh, if I'm in business, I'm going to take care of the people who are loyal to me first. That, that's just how it works. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you, you, you have to build those relationships. You talk about it all the time and it's times like now where that becomes critically important. I mean, we could have probably in the past, you know, several years, you know, been beating up our parts suppliers and, you know, just trying to drive the price down on everything and, 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 you know, kind of trying to take it, not take advantage of them, but, you know, trying to try to get every last penny of value out of them that we, we could have. And, uh, we typically don't do that. And now when things are tight, we, we've got some, some access to parts availability that most fleets don't and it's worked out well for us. Yeah. You know, there's a, there's a saying in the investing world um, and it really applies right now because we've been watching this and you've talked about it with rates and your customers and you know, you're still on your contract rate. You have good contracts. Those rates are going to hold. You weren't getting maybe the absolute best rates when everything peaked because you stayed loyal to your customers. And it doesn't mean you don't try to maximize profit and get the best rate you can, but there's, there's limits in there. And the saying in investing is that pigs get fat, but hogs get slaughtered. So it's okay to be a little piggy once in a while when the market's in your favor and you go out and you take advantage of that, but don't, don't be a hog. And I just think there have been a lot of hogs at the trough, and I think we're about to see uh, a lot of hogs get slaughtered. Hey, John, I was just thinking about this. Did it, you seeing any similarities in the racing world from 08, 09? Um, not yet. Not, not at all. Uh, the 0809 thing, um, you know, I was in a situation where, how should I put this? I, mean, I have to compete with people who do this business as a hobby. I've got wealthy team owners of great big construction companies to name one and some other guys who, who do this for fun. And it's, it's a fun business, right? Which is really not fair for a guy who, who has to eat. And it, in 08, uh, let's, let's go all the way back to 02 three, four, five, six. I had about six employees full time, uh, and probably another six that did fly and work for me. I was running two rigs. Um, I was running two rigs back when fuel got to five bucks a gallon back then. Um, that, that, that sort of hurt us, but we were just able to spread it across our customers and, and just charge more. And we were able to do that. So I was running a nice little business with a few employees and I bought their health insurance and I paid them fairly well and, and things were going along nicely. And then 08 happened and what it was a race to the bottom that you'd see rate wise with trucking. So I had teams that I was competing with who ran this as a hobby business um, that were just cutting my throat. Like they were, they were running, they were, they were doing the service of, 
you know, maintaining these cars, getting them to the track and the truck, which is kind of what my business model was and competing. And again, our customers were wealthy or they had some sort of wealthy benefactor. If they weren't wealthy or they actually had real sponsorship from time to time, which is more rare in this sport than people realize. Um, but regardless, we're providing service. We're getting out there, working hard, getting it done. Everybody was getting paid. We had a tiny bit of profit at the end of the year, which I was okay with, but nothing really in the bank. Uh, but we were able to, you know, pay ourselves and, and do well. In 08, all of a sudden, you know, money did tighten up pretty quickly. And you saw people on my end just to start doing it cheaper and cheaper and cheaper. And it got down to like, went from a bunch of small teams like mine in the series that we were in to two or three mega teams that were owned by really wealthy people that were running drivers for at a deficit, but they were just doing it to do it. And I had to stop. I literally went, had to let my people go. I just had, I was, I was stuck. Like I was in a, in an odd situation where, uh, you know, I just had, I just had to hit the brakes. No pun intended. I had zero money in the back. I had some credit card debt that would build up from running lean in 08 and trying to compete with these guys before I said no. And I uh, went back to working by myself in the shop doing restoration work and, and, and some flying work here and there, you know, that was just clean profit to survive. I'm not seeing that yet. I'm not seeing anyone dropping prices yet. Maybe it'll happen next year. I mean, it might, who knows what will happen over the winter when contracts are done and people are, are, are doing this. I see zero evidence of that. I see Right now, you know, on our end, there are new cars being bought. Um, the team that I work for, like we grew from a little one-car operation to three. Um, one, of the, one of the things that I engineer for. This Ferrari thing was just such an eye-opener to me. Like, these people are not slowing down yet. And, and again, maybe it'll happen. Maybe it'll be a crash. Or, you know, I like to say maybe we're living through another Roaring Twenties 100 years later, and we all know what happened after the last Roaring Twenties. Um the separation and wealth, you know, you see, but we've got some really healthy service businesses kind of like mine. I mean, I, I could be, I could be their pool boy or their boat boy doing what I do. Right. I, I don't have to be working on the race car. Uh, it, it's no different though. I'm in the same boat as maybe the guy who does either you know, the fancy landscaper they have, but you know, what I do is specialize. I'm really good at it. And you know, I, I demand a premium for it, but uh, it's really no different. I'm a service business and I'm serving really wealthy people which is good. I mean, we've got, I, I mean, we've got it seems I'm working for paying mechanics like 750 bucks a day right now, wow. just because skilled people are hard to find. It's, it's, it's craziness. It really is. And they're doing well. And I want to see them do well. I mean, but that's the answer to doing well now, but the new middle class or the new, I don't know how to put it. I mean, to, to make it, you almost have to be, except being in the gig economy, make as much money as you can while you can and, and, and do that and, and deal with the repercussions later, hopefully for a little bit away and be able to survive when, uh, when things tighten up, if they tighten up, but I don't see any signs of it. Yet. I really don't. Uh, not for many of the racing organizations, not for many of the teams that I contract to, like I don't see it yet. And, and that doesn't mean it's not going to happen. It might happen hard and fast. Uh, but, but who knows? You know, that there might be a, a run on the banks next month or something, right? It could happen again. Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it, it, it is interesting this time, but I, I think there, we're seeing the biggest divide we've ever seen. You talked about the middle class, and the problem with the middle class is they are kind of disappearing. 
We, we've been talking about that for decades, oh, yeah. and it seems like it's happening more and more now. You've got, like you said, these these teams and, and people with just all kinds of money to spend on whatever they want to spend it on. And on the other end, you've got, like I said, when I, you know, out on the road and parking at Walmarts, I saw more and more people living in their cars that didn't look like people who should be living in their cars. That's just, they're struggling at the very bottom of this economy right now. So, so kind of to your guys' point here, I I don't know if, if either of you saw this in freight waves, there's an article that says shippers ready to fight truck driver overtime bill in Congress. Have Either of you saw that article? I read that one yesterday. Okay, so and and it talks about this um, this uh, well, they call it the National Industrial Transportation League, and it's interesting how they look at this. And as a driver, this really pissed me off. I mean, it, it. I really, really pissed me off. So it says whose members include Cargill, Georgia Pacific and Marine Drage company, IMC. And they, they talk about how this, they don't believe that the bill is going to gain uh, much momentum in Congress. However, if something were to happen on it, I'm sure we could move pretty quickly to mitigate it on Capitol Hill. Um, this it was one of the quotes out of this. And, and then uh, a gentleman from a brokerage company talked a little bit and, and he said something about the potential threat. If this gains steam and if there are bells and whistles affixed to it, it could stand to undo the progress we've made to deregulate the freight environment. So obviously the big companies are, are you know, they're seeing the, the deregulation of the freight environment is a, is a huge plus to them. And at the very end of where they had these quotes, it said, in theory, drivers would have to be paid for a lot of time that they're not currently being paid paid for, which would not be sustainable, but yet they can, they can afford to have all these people lobbying Congress and pay for all these attorneys and pay for all this stuff in order to make sure that we don't get overtime pay. It just, it, to me, it's just nuts. I mean, these are not companies that are not making profits. You know, they can afford to, to lobby Congress. And, and we sometimes we talk about regulation as this horrible thing inside the trucking industry. You know, sometimes I think lobbyists are probably worse than a regulation um, because it's kind of a hidden regulation. They are supremely confident that they can shoot down anything that they want and kind of control the narrative on whether a driver gets paid overtime or not. And they could care less about the safety issues connected with this and all the things that we've talked about over the last several weeks. You know, it's, it's just purely a profit motive. We don't care if the highways are safe. We don't really care about your standard of living. Uh, basically they just dumped a deuce on 2 million truck drivers in, the, in their opinion. And it, it just, really kind of suck. And when you start to talk about the disappearing middle class, this is a big part of it. It's concentrating wealth, I think, in these big corporations. And quite honestly, in this particular instance, they're just taking it right out of the pocket of the truck drivers, in my opinion. Well, I've got some opinions on this that are aligned with people, but any corporation, any big corporation, being in the trucking, whatever it may be, 
it's publicly traded. Their only responsibility, their only responsibility is to make sure the stock dividends increase every quarter. If they don't, someone's head rolls. When you get to a point where there's only so much you can protect, and it gets back to labor, and we can talk about this about you know sending sending you know manufacturing overseas. Um, you know, I, I just read an article that some some workers in a Mexican GM plant that builds Chevy pickup trucks uh, just got a raise from like three twenty five to three fifty five an hour. Right. So how? How do you compete with that? Like, what happens? GM's profits are high. I mean, I'd personally sooner buy a, a Toyota that was built here in the United States than a Chevy that's built in Mexico. I, I want the workers to make the money. I don't give a flying, you know what, about <laughs> corporate profits. I don't. I'm not invested in the stock market. I don't care. I, I you know, I, I, I do have some eat the rich tendencies, even though I make money off of them, which I don't mind. I mean, I, I'll, I'll gladly separate some really wealthy guys from some of their money and charge them an obscene amount of way today, but I do ship it and other people can. So I do have a specialized work that, that other people don't do. You can't just plug somebody into that situation I went into last week and do it. But so those of us who want to be middle class, and I'm living maybe a middle class life. I've got a $150,000 house on the outskirts of Pittsburgh that, that my ex and kids live in, and I live in a one bedroom apartment. And, and you know, kids are expensive nowadays. I, I don't care what anyone says. You're not raising a family of four on, on anything under six figures and doing it well. Um, you know, it's cell phones, it's activities, it's, it's you know, we, we've been through gymnastics and cheer and everything under the sun with the girls. And you can't tell the kids no to that stuff. You know, you don't, don't tell your 12-year-old to go out and get a job if she wants to do gymnastics. Gym fees, $300 a month. It's insane. Like, like, I, but life is just expensive and those people need to make money and I don't mind spreading it around. I mean, I, I feel like this money pump, like it just comes to me and goes back out. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I understand the, the point that but, corporations have to make a profit and I don't begrudge them that, but there has to be some ground rules at some point somewhere. Um, yeah, where, is because, the, where is enough though is the thing it's always more and more and more and more and you get to the point where you, you can only become so efficient right and and then the next efficiency thing is well okay we close this plant and make much make our Chevy trucks in, in Mexico because it's way cheaper even with the tariffs and whatnot to, to do that but that's that, that's what's gone on and their profits go up and they go up and they go up and they're unregulated and you know it'd be cool if there was some way you know I don't, I don't know how to, how to, how to put it with, without going super heavy regulation, but put some sort of guidelines on, you know, and the politicians are all bought and paid for, and they're all those corporate profits go, you know, the, the biggest thing they do is buy their lobbyists who are ex-politicians who know who to talk to, who know how to get whatever <laughs> done that they need to get done. And it's across every industry. It's not just, it's not just trucking. It's, it's everywhere. I mean, it's just, it's no, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. And I guess that's kind of the point I'm making here is that that lobby is just, they have a ridiculous amount of power with, with that lobby that just, you know, it, it basically doesn't allow any of us to be included in the process when you have that very strong lobby there. Um, there's, there's nothing that me or you or Kevin or anybody else can do because we don't possess that very strong lobby up in DC. That's whining and dining these politicians that, you know, it, it's, I don't know. It just seems, it seems corrupt, I guess. <laughs> it's just not it, 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 in any ways to put it. it, it it's horrible. Yeah. And, and all, any politician on either side of the aisle is interested in getting reelected. So that's where the lobby comes in because that takes cash. And then they'll just do some trigger issues, be it second amendment or abortion or whatever. They'll get those 18% issues that they know they got that 18% whatever. And they're going to be that person on that side 
you know, on that, that whatever issue it is that they're going to go with on, on either side. And then they get the lobby cash, you know, helping them out. And then they, all they care about is getting reelected. They don't care about anything else. And then when they're, then, then when they're finally done being elected, they'll go become a lobbyist and make even more money. It, it's just <laughs> how the whole system works. Yeah, ab- absolutely. We talk about Russian oligarchy and, you know, it's not a whole lot different when, when you sit down and think about it, it is not a whole lot different. And it, it's kind of sad. And, and, you know, the, the worse this gets, the, you know, we see the middle crash class just uh, continue to shrink and shrink and shrink. And at some point it's going to be gone. You know what I mean? And, and uh, that, then what? The, the knock-on effects of that, like you look at this baby formula thing, right? So you know, after the depression, there were the, the antitrust laws in place that had slowly been repealed ever since, right? Uh, yeah, Reagan got rid of some, Clinton got rid of a whole lot more, and you're starting to see monopolies again. And you know, so the, the fact that there was one plant that made that much of the baby formula it was had no other reason than the fact that they could, right? And they pretty much had that monopolized. Well, that plant goes down, and look what happened. So it's a knock-on sure. effect of that stuff being loosened up to that degree. Sure. Yeah. No, I I, I agree. There's there's some some things that I think we really need to look at again. Um, I mean, early on in my career, I would have described myself as hardcore conservative and would have supported a lot of the stuff that I'm looking at now. Going, eh, maybe that wasn't such a good idea after all. I I, uh, I um, you know, you got to look at it honestly and, and looking at it over the course of 35 years, I can guarantee you there were a lot of things that I supported early on that uh, it probably just you know, in terms of employees, you know, owning a, a mid-sized business that we actually care about our people and we want to see them do well. And there are things that we would like to do as a company um, in terms of adding value to a driver's time that really because of the way the marketplace is and groups like this, that they completely know that drivers are not being paid for all their time. They get it. They understand it. Um, they don't want to deal with it and they're going to lobby against it. And, they're going to win that, that battle up there. Um, small company like we have, I mean, we don't have any hope in hell of going to Washington DC and getting anything changed. And so we just got to continue the status quo of, you know, kind of paying by the mile, regardless if we think it's right or not. And, you know, I, I think, I think everybody up in the office thinks that it, it sucks that it has to be that way, but what do you do? You know, you just, it, it's very, very difficult to deal with. Well, I think we're we're heading into a time economically where I'm not sure what the outcome is going to be, but I think a lot of these things are going to change. I, I something different is going to happen during this recession. I'm not sure what it is, but you just you look at all the numbers, and we no matter how far back you go in history, we've never seen anything like what we're dealing with right now, and I, it, something is going to change throughout this and you know the one of the things i've always said about if if you change drivers pay if you look at the publicly traded trucking companies now so we can look at their data they have to file it every year we can see what their profit is there's not a lot of profit there i mean this is a, a a an industry where they run on pennies of profit per mile and we make it up with productivity just get more miles get more miles when you make when you try if we attempt to make this shift to pay drivers by the hour to pay them overtime 
you can't really pay them more than what they're making now. There's, there's no profit there. When you look at how many drivers an average fleet has and what just a small bump in pay would do to their profit, that's not sustainable for them. So what has to happen is prices of everything have to go up. And I think that's where we're going to see so much pushback because, it, like, Joel, your example here, these aren't carriers fighting paying drivers more. These are these are companies that have technically nothing to do with paying a driver. They're, they're not, and they're right. driving the agenda. Right. Yes. Yeah, they're they're they have almost and, and, nothing to do with our industry other than they use our services, but they're the ones now in Washington dictating how much we should be able to charge them. <laughs> that, that that's exactly right and this this is this is problematic i mean take any one of the three people that were quoted in here this the ann warner and, and jeff tucker and avery vice so you take those three people let's let's trade places for a couple months you come get my truck and then you come back and tell me that there's no time value associated with what i do you know, they're looking at it from a bean counter perspective. It's all productivity that the human aspect is taken out of this. Um, you know, look, how many industries is the expectation out there to work 70 hours week in and week out? How many industries well, in the United States does that happen? Not, not only, not only does that not happen in other industries, but how did we get to the point where as drivers, the average response to this is, what do you mean I can only work 70 hours? You're exactly right. When when you're going to hire somebody, when you're going to hire somebody, you know, it's about how how many miles am I going to get? Yeah. You know, they're not even, they're basically concerned. It's like we've been brainwashed since deregulation to, to think in a certain way. And it's been pretty damn effective um, on the, the, the parts of the, the companies or the, the groups like this uh, National Industrial Transportation League, um, they've had pretty good uh, results in, in getting drivers to, to think in a particular way. And then when you do think about paying them by the hour, they think it's a scam or, or how you cheat me, you know, because they're so used to seeing this pay by the mile and how many miles I can get without any regard to to um, how many hours are actually going to be out on the road. And, and the bottom line is, Kevin, and you know this, it impacts our health in a negative way, which has a huge cost to society. When we only think about productivity, we're running the trucks as fast as we can possibly run them. And we all know what that's doing with the big oil. It's just inflating their profits. It's not really profitable for the trucking company itself. We know what it does to maintenance costs. I mean, that can elevate maintenance by up to 37%, in my opinion, from, from things that I've seen. So there's, there's a lot of cost associated there that we don't necessarily see in the background. And so then when they say, oh, how could we possibly afford to pay them overtime? It could be done. There is, there is no doubt about it, but it, it, it's going to take some, you know, the government's going to have to get involved because the big corporations just absolutely are not going to let that go. I mean, it, that pretty much tells you where they're at. We know you're doing work and we are not going to pay you for it. They're flat out telling you that we know you're doing the work, but we are not going to pay for it. And we're going to fight you if you try to get paid. And that's just nuts. 
I, you just, I don't know. You just shouldn't do that to people, but it, it is what it is. Yes, it is. Any yeah, other that's, thoughts? That's, that's so tough because ahead, if go. the government jumps in, that'll be filed under big government and regulation and stifling regulation and not friendly to profit and so forth. It's just not going to fly. I, I hate this. No, I, I, I agree with you. It, it, it won't. Uh, and, and it's unfortunate, um, you know, because everybody looks back at the, the craziness that we had before when the, when the industry was regulated and it was overregulated. There is no doubt about it. And I'm not suggesting any type of, of massive regulation like we had before. But, you know, the free for all that we have now. The, the major corporations are doing well with uh, the unregulated environment that we're in right now. It's the drivers that are taking it on the chin. And we are, there is no doubt about it. Employee drivers are really taking it on the chin here and they're being taken advantage of how we fix it. I, I don't know. I, you know, I wish as our own company as Plover transportation, we could wave a magic wand and, and, and do certain things that I've been wanting to do for years in regards to pay. But, uh, you know, when you got groups out there like this that, that know what's happening and they're going to fight you on it, it becomes very difficult to do anything. Well, you know, one of the, uh, one of the things we've got to throw into the mix here is the fact that um, a lot of this comes down to our own decisions as consumers as well. We want cheap stuff. And we were all fine with send all that manufacturing overseas so I can buy 27 widgets and I can afford it. And, you know, Walmart is the ultimate example of that. Walmart figured out how to get people a lot of stuff really, really cheap. And they grew like crazy. And the one thing, the one part of the economy that we've never been able to outsource is drivers. You can outsource manufacturing, you right. can outsource customer service, you can send a lot of jobs to other pl- places around the world and save an awful lot of money, and we've done it with virtually every job we can. You can't do it with drivers, and that's, I think, why industry fights back so hard at anything that would improve driver pay, because it's it's the last area where until we start seeing autonomous vehicles, which we are. I mean, that's, that's the answer for well, industry. They, they finally figured out we can't outsource this job that's critically important, but look, we can get a machine to do it. So think about this, though. Look at the Chinese are over here investing in this autonomous technology. They're going to own our supply chain completely. They're going to own it. And that's a national security risk. And, you know, a computer doesn't care if you're an American or if you're a Chinese, it takes orders from whoever's sending it. And uh, a Russian hacker or a Chinese hacker hacks into these autonomous trucks and it shuts down the supply chain and we don't have any drivers left. I mean, you think we have supply chain issues now? It's only going to get worse. I mean, on the surface, it looks great. And from the bean counters perspective, oh, my God, this is the greatest thing that ever happened. This will bite us in the ass. It is going to. It's a national security issue. In my opinion, when you're looking at the the, the food service and and, uh, the pharmacy, you know, the medical, uh, we we need to limit the amount of autonomous technology that's going to be able to haul that stuff to a certain percentage of total capacity. Because if we don't, 
Um, and you know, they shut down a pipeline on the East coast a couple years ago and look what it done to gas prices. You shut down trucks. What's going to happen? Yeah. I, and if you I, don't have drivers, I mean, real life people to put in those trucks, this is a major, major problem. And letting these foreign companies come in and invest heavily into this technology, especially the Chinese who are absolutely our adversaries. It's bad enough. We've offshored all of our industry to them. And now we're going to let them come in and take our autonomous, uh, our, our supply chain through autonomous vehicles. To me, that's just crazy. I, I agree with how, you. How do you on, not with them on that? How, how do you, how do you not take their money? How does like Argo AI or someone who does this stuff or what is the Chinese one that's actually operating here? Kevin, you, you've mentioned their name before. Too, too, too simple. simple too too simple. How, how do you stop that? Like, how do you stop a, a kid that just graduates from engineering? School well, I, you know, uh, uh, how much money. Like, how do you, how do you curtail that? Uh, you know, effectively, I, I don't understand. Like, I, I don't know how, I don't know how you stop it. I, I can't, you know, you could, you could be as isolationist and as anti-globalist as, as you want to be, but it, it happened. It's not, it's not happening. It happened, and it happened because of us. It happened because we liked all that cheap stuff at Walmart. And, you know, I, I remember a, a speech from George W. Bush a long time ago about like, you saying how good cheap stuff was, and you don't really don't need to make much money anymore. That was a synopsis of it. That was not exactly what he said, but that was the speech. It's like, you know, we've got all this free trade now, and we're not regulating the stuff coming from China. We're not throwing tariffs on it, so our companies are making money on stuff they're outsourcing there, and everything's good. And and, and you've got cheap stuff to buy. And, you know, what's, what's the book, the, the High Cost of a Low Price? That there, That is so true. I mean, it, it, it's amazing. Uh, but again, now with this autonomous stuff, I, I don't know how you stop it. I, I don't know how you, you get in front of it by you know, being more clever than they are on the hacking end, but on the security end and so forth. And we need some really smart people for that. But I don't know that there's any way to isolate ourselves from, from that sort of thing. And if you look at, you know, other places, the Chinese are investing money, like North Africa with all the infrastructure there, they're investing in there. They, they already realized that they're going to, you know, they have a, they have a middle class that's actually growing uh, people in China actually want to be paid now for what they do. So they're, they're, they have some issues there with that. And it's, you know, so they're already looking to, you know, create an emerging economy where they could outsource their stuff to be done. It, it certainly isn't going to be here, but it's, it's a force that's going to be here for a really long time. And they are, they really are better long-term thinking than we are a whole lot better. It's oh, just, uh, it's interesting. Yeah. It's, yeah. Right. You, you are correct about that. They think in terms of hundreds of years or more, and we have a hard time thinking about a hundred seconds anymore. <laughs> no, that, that is, that is the absolute truth. I mean, it's instant gratification, man. If it takes we five seconds for your internet man. to connect, yeah, you're pissed off at the world. So I, <laughs> no, I, I, I agree. It's, it's crazy, but man, it's, it's, I mean, I can see a lot of very painful situations that we could be exposed to if we 
you know, adopt a a policy where we're just going to make everything autonomous or as much as we possibly can. And and we don't put some type of restrictions on this stuff. Um, Will prices go up? Yeah, they're going to go up. But, you know, just having a very inexpensive uh, transportation system, um, just so we can concentrate power or concentrate wealth at the corporate level that eventually is just sending it back to China who wants to come kick our ass anyway, doesn't make any sense either. So I I think we really got to take a long, hard look at this and come up with a better strategy than, than what we've got now. I I think what we're doing now is a mistake. I agree. Let's um, let, let's grab some calls here and uh, find out what's on everybody else's mind. Ken in Indiana, thanks for being patient. Welcome to the program. Hi, Kevin. Thanks for taking my call. Hi, John. Hi, Joel. Uh, Got a question about injection timing. Um, If you increase the injection timing, do you think that's a bad thing? Uh, Can it cause uh, internal failures? Yes. Okay. Uh, I had a... <laughs> <laughs> that, it really can. Uh, it needs to be early enough to get all the fuel burned. Uh, but the, the earlier the, you know, in your engine there, Ken, the, uh, the, the, the 14 liter, uh, Detroit yeah. calls it beginning of injection. So you said that's an adjustment, DOI. So it begins at a certain degree before top head center. Uh, you know, a certain position where the piston is. And then you have pulse width, which controls the end of injection, shall we say. So you've got X amount of pulse width and you've got beginning of the injection event. And if that happens too early, that piston's too far away and there's enough heat in the cylinder to ignite the fuel, as the piston's on its way up, it'll create a tremendous amount of cylinder pressure, which puts load on everything. I mean, just everything. Um, what I've always struggled with with a lot of tuners uh, was was going too far with the injection always. So I would see things from some other shops, you know, back when I was, I was at Pittsburgh Power, they would just throw a bunch of timing at it, and the engine sounds great, and it has this nice bark whenever you step on it, and it, it feels super responsive, but it's just tearing itself apart. So that's uh, that's my opinion on, 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 on timing. Uh, back in the old hot rod mechanical days would make the injection as late as possible to, uh, and still get the fuel burned. And quite often if it was cold or whatnot, uh, I, I did some big cams and stuff that would, uh, slobber out fuel while they were cold because the injection was so late. Uh, but, uh, you know, and, and, and they looked when they idled and they were, they were dirty and, and, and awful, but man, once they were warmed up, they had a lot of power. But, uh, yeah, so that's, you gotta be careful with that. Yeah, I uh, I took my uh, truck in the Pittsburgh Tower back in December. Uh, yep. And, uh, you know, I wanted to see how it was doing. I had a complaint of a little bit of high uh, EGT, and uh, seeing if that might be, be, be able to be reduced. And uh, I didn't know what... Uh, the uh, amount of tummage grease, you know, the stock setting was, uh, and I was given 16 degrees of injection timing, which uh, I found out later after the uh, Louisville truck show 
that uh, that's like three times as much as normal. Uh, right. Anyway, my engine lasted about another 7,000, 8,000 miles. I'm not sure exactly. And I dropped a valve. Uh, you know, so I wouldn't have, you know, wanted to affect the longevity of my high horsepower engine, but uh, uh, the Bruce was not willing to stay behind it, stand behind it. Uh, even though, well, again, has, oh, go ahead. So I, I've just heard him say you never, you know, advance injection time. Uh, and that's what they did back in December. Uh, and then, right. Uh, so I'm just, uh, you know, I got a $60,000 boat anchor now. Wow. Uh, that's, yeah. uh, so that, that advanced. So you, you, you know, and again, you were on the edge with that thing. That's, you know, that, that engine was, uh, I, I, I was still there when Sean was putting that together. That was sort of our whole grail engine. We did, uh, I helped him do the cam timing. We did all sorts of neat stuff in that. That was a great engine. So the advanced, so, so you probably would have been better off, again, I'll, I'll get yelled at for this. Uh, not something that there's anyone to yell at me anymore. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, yeah, that's one of the joys of being on your own. So that probably cooled it off. So the extra advance gave a little more time for the yeah. burn. Uh, so probably cooled it off on the exhaust temp. But that was a, to me, that was, that's a false, that, that that's that's a band-aid or a crutch at best. They probably should just cut it back a little bit. Uh, you, you were probably burning as much fuel as you could efficiently burn in that engine and making the power that thing's making. And yeah, any more advance on it probably just increased the cylinder pressure to, to, to a large degree, and, and, that, and that was it. So so even if you're watching your tent, you had no idea what's going on inside the cylinder there with that extra advance. There's no way for you as a driver to, to you know, right. try to, to know what was going on. Yeah. And it had 37,000 miles on it. Oh, man. So I'm sure uh, Sean is heartbroken wherever he is now. That was, uh, we put a ton of time into that thing. So, yeah, he was super proud of that. That was a, uh, yeah, that was, that was a, that was a neat build. Yeah. I just got a bad program. So, but, yeah. all right. Well, that's the question I had. I appreciate it. Okay. All right. Thanks for the call. Let's go to Iowa this time. Stephen, welcome to the program. Hey, Joel. Hey, uh, I was the one that was chatting with you a couple weeks ago about the per-hour rate, and I hear you passing mm-hmm. for the per-hour, getting rid of the per-mile and getting everybody on the per-hour. Uh, but I, mm-hmm. I just want to ask, like, your, so your family's trucking business has been in business for a fairly, you know, a decent amount of time, and you guys have mm-hmm. a decent amount of uh, of drivers, and you guys have mm-hmm. also been paying by the per mile for quite a while. And what is your guys' safety rating for you guys as a company? We have an excellent safety rating. Um, I, I haven't looked at it on Safer System uh, recently, but we, we have a, a much better than average safety rating, I can tell you that. So your company has figured out how to hire the right drivers to pay them by the hour, to make them productive, and also do it in a safe manner. Uh, so I, I just, uh, the per mile rate, it's just, it is what it is. The per hour, I would love to see it. 
I just you and you've said that you've tried it in the past and oh, it's right. successful and you guys are looking at a hybrid system now, which still includes another per mile rate, which drivers are and like Kevin pointed out, we're so bad that we work so much that we need the federal government to give us a logbook to tell us we can only do seventy hours a week. So even in a hybrid system, if you give a driver any opportunity to make more to do more miles, whether it's five cents or ten cents, that driver is going to still push those miles. It's not going to cure the problem. Uh, well, you have to you have to balance it. There, there is no doubt. You have to balance the hourly rate with the mileage rate, and that's what we're we're kind of struggling with right now. Um, exactly, how do we set that up? And we always try to tie. Um, in, in a hybrid system, we're trying to tie that to some of our safety scores that we're getting from some of the onboard um, uh, systems that we're using, like the driver eye. Um, you know, it yep. scores the driver every day. So if we take that daily driver score and then we say, okay, we're going to do a hybrid system, they get thirteen fifty an hour plus overtime and 41 cents a mile if their safety score is at this level. Um, and then maybe it goes down to 37 cents a mile, depending on where their safety score is. So you're right. This gets very, very complicated. I mean, you can really get lost in it, uh, really quick. There's just so many things you have to take into consideration. And I think most, most trucking companies, our size, you know, it is just such a complex issue that, you know, it's just, you know what, the industry accepts this drivers accept it. Let's just pay by the mile. And, and it is what it is. You know, I, I clearly see the need for something different. Um, spending 35 years and four and a half million miles behind the wheel. Uh, what we're doing from a human level just isn't right. It's, it's not, we should not be paying strictly by the mile. Um, there, there is, your, is value you, associated with our time. Your, your drivers for your company, you know, on average, what are they uh, making a year as a driver? Yeah, I would say our our average is probably around 85,000. I think right now I've got guys that are making I've got guys making well over 100. Yeah. 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 And you're still yeah. complaining that it's not enough money. It's not. It is not. Um, you know, when you look back in time, when we were regulated and, and you look at the wages that drivers were making back then, your typical average driver was making the equivalent of a six-figure income. And I don't know that they were working as many hours as that were working. Yeah, they make 85000 but they're working 70 hours every week. If they were making that in 40, you wouldn't hear a peep out of me. You know, oh, if yeah. they were working 40 hours a week and making $85,000, you would not hear a peep out of me. I don't think a guy so should education. have to run 4,000 miles a week. I, you know what? I, I don't care about the education level. Um, if, if a guy is willing to come out here and bust his ass and work, he deserves to be compensated for it. I don't care about his pedigree. I care about his work ethic. Um, and 85000 a year is a good effort. It is a good number at 40 hours a week. It's not so good at 70, <laughs> 70 hours a week. You know, it's just, it, it's not. You got yeah, you got to compare out there. There's, there's pilots. Pilots spend a lot of time to train to be a pilot. 
and they don't make a hundred thousand dollars a year as a it's, 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 they don't work right. near the hours either they're not allowed to work that many hours well wait a minute i'll jump in there but they're still Start, gone away from home starting wages for pilots are low but there's also a career path for pilots that clearly if you stay a career pilot you're making significantly more money than any truck driver by the end of your career the pro- and here's another problem in truck driving with pay I, I, we we do not value experience at all in this industry it, we don't we we just don't pay for experience whatsoever we have companies that pay a driver with 30 years safe driving the same thing they pay a driver coming right out of school there is no career path here there's not and yeah and and the other thing is just from the purely human aspect of this man i have watched guys get divorced i've watched families break up i've watched guys that got into the business young their health be destroyed um it, it trucking is hell on a person over time uh it, it it just is especially if you're trying to maintain any type of family life you want to be in that middle class you want to provide for your family and you know it, it it's 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 a hard hard uh road to hoe there, there's just there's no doubt about it and i i don't think that drivers are compensated fairly. I, and yeah, they make $85,000. My, my, my stepson, you know, he made over a hundred thousand. He's doing multiple stops, unloading boxes, trailer loads of, of, of cookies every day. I mean, just busting his ass to get where he's at. And, you know, I think most people don't realize that are making that hundred thousand uh, dollar a year level in other, you know, other industries or, or other career paths realize what a driver goes through to make that kind of money as an employee driver. Uh, you're, I, I, I think that a uh, hundred thousand dollars for 40 hours a week is going to push that autonomous stuff so much faster because as you see, the free market just can't afford to pay it. If they yeah, afford yeah. to pay it, they would be paying it. Well, I, I, you know, I, I, I hear that argument. I hear it and, and I understand it to a certain degree, but yet we were regulated in this industry from 1938 uh, to 1979 and we had a very strong middle class. And so there are, there are other efficiencies that, that can be, well, obviously it was different, but it doesn't change the fact that it, it happened. Um, I, I'm just never that type of person that, say, that says it can't be done. I get it. There's challenges, but everybody just says, well, you can't do it. It can't be done. You can't do it. I, I don't, I don't buy that. Um, it, it can be done. Um, but you got to work I, at I, it I, I do like, love, like anything I else. I love hearing yeah, I do love hearing your passion for it. I know it sounds like I'm not for it, but I'm truly for the idea. Just figuring out. I, I, I do love hearing your passion. You're a realist. I get it. You know, my brother's the same way. He does. He, it's his point counterpoint. We have this discussion and he's, and he is on that business end of it where he's looking at the numbers every day and looking at the books. He loves the idea too. He's like, man, I wish we could do this for, for all of our guys. And, and I wish we can do this. And you know, he gets, he, he looks at it kind of like you are. Cause you're, you're looking at the numbers every day too. Um, I'm not looking at the financial 
financial end of it every day. I'm out on the road still with my guys. I'm living, living the life. I see what happens. You know, we go into shippers and receivers. They detain us at docks. They don't let us use restrooms. We can't get into break rooms. I understand what these guys are bitching about because I, I live this stuff too. I see what it does to your home life. I see what it does to your health. And you know what? We just don't make enough money. That's the bottom line. How we fix it, I'm not 100% sure. I think we need to have this discussion and continuously have it. What really kind of disappointed me was that Freight Waves article where, you know, the big corporations absolutely know this is happening and they're going to fight to maintain the status quo. And that, that just kind of sucks. It, it really does. I, I hate to see that happen. And, and I guess it's because I'm attached to my guys because I am out here with them. And I, I just, I hate to see that happen. Hey, hey, Joel, take, take a deep breath. There's something really, really positive. <laughs> there, there's something really positive that just happened here. You guys had a, a 15 minute debate and nobody called the other one Hitler. That's progress. <laughs> yeah, yeah it, it, right. That, that, that's absolutely right. I get that there's two sides to the story. I really do. And, and, you know, maybe I'm out in fantasy land on this, but uh, <laughs> um, Kevin, you know, you drove and you were subjected to it for a while. You know what's what's going on here and what an employee driver faces and um, it, it, it can be better. Let's, let's just let's just put it that it, it, it can be better. It needs to be better. We need to do a better job here. Exactly how it happens. I don't have all the answers and I'll be the first person to admit it, but it needs to be better. I agree. There are clearly, you know, it, it's a, an issue that I mostly stayed away from because I dealt with owner operators and small fleets. And, um, you know, with an owner operator, it's not an issue at all. At, at all. Once you get to a small fleet, it becomes an issue again because now I have to pay drivers. So I've got to think about that. But right. uh, there, there, I, I don't know. I, I definitely do not want to go back. I don't even like making comparisons prior to deregulation because regulation in trucking, what we had during the regulated time was outrageously extreme. I mean, we, we've, there were only a couple industries that we did that to, utilities, trucking, and the logic behind it probably made some sense, I, although I think there may have been better ways of doing it. But the logic was it's way too expensive for a small company to take utilities. That's an easier example to understand. How do we wire an entire country for telephone and electricity and all those things? The cost of that is so outrageous that you have to provide some protection for the companies that are going to make that investment. You can't allow other companies to come in and undercut them right away before they can make their money back. So we had to regulate the rates. But other than like transportation and utilities, that's almost never been done. And it's really not a good idea in a free market. So I don't ever want to go back to those kind of days. But I also know that it is going to require some government regulation to fix this. And it, it's just some of these things would have to be mandated no different. And look, I'm, I, I'm pretty you know, hardcore libertarian. I don't even think we should have a minimum wage. 
but I think we also have to put in protections on the other end so that you can have a market that would allow no minimum wage without becoming a disaster. And we need to have some sort of compensation and pay for time in trucking. I agree with that. But it also means we have to get rid of a lot of other regulation and get it the hell out of the way. I, I agree with that. And I kind of almost see this in the same sense as, you know, what was back in the 1800s when we, when we were having child labor issues and sweatshops going on and whatnot. I'll guarantee you there were people making the argument, well, we just can't afford it. Think of the inflation if, right. if we don't pay these kids right. 13 cents an hour to work, you know, 15 hours right. a day. It's the same, same type of thing going on here. And, um, uh, very, very literally the same type of thing going on here. The big companies, they, they know that we are not being paid for our time and they're going to fight us so that they don't, they, they want to not have to be able to pay us what, for, for working. And it's, it's, it's just crazy. What do we, what do you think about this? If we pay by the hour, um, what about just eliminating hours of service completely? Why do we have hours you know, I, of service in this industry? And people will say, well, it's a safety issue. Have you ever seen what we do to doctors? Have you ever seen what the, a doctor's <laughs> schedule is like in his residency? Talk about a safety issue. Yeah. I, they yeah. don't have hours of yeah. service. I, 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 I don't disagree with you. I, I've also thought about the idea of, you know, Listen, instead of regulating us by the hour, why don't you regulate us by the mile? Say, look, as a driver, you can drive 650 miles a day. We're not going to put any time limitations on you, but that's what you're allowed to do. That way, everybody knows kind of what's going on. You know, it's, there's no goofy expectations. There's it, the way we're doing things now, it's just problem on top of problem stacked on top of problem. And, and we, we have what we have. And uh, some people have figured out how they're going to leverage this to their benefit, which is the big corporate. They're they're making a bunch of money off it. The economy in general has benefited from from this, I think. And it, it's the drivers, the two million drivers that are out there that have kind of you know had to carry that economic burden with them. And I, I think if most people understood the working conditions and the amount of hours that these guys are working, that most people would be in favor of changing the system in, in a major way. I just don't think most people in the general public realize it. And I think truckers are our own worst enemies. You know, we see all this crazy out in social media and, and the way we choose to approach things and and we we're, we're our own worst enemy when it comes to public relations and getting that point across I think I, I agree we're gonna so, oops, go ahead John I, you know I've, I saw some things there you know on the road and I see things saw things while I was a Pittsburgh caller what about some of these companies who have shall we say uh and, and do not think I'm anti-immigration. I'm actually very pro-immigration. I think we need them. When, uh, I'm a great grandchild of immigrants who came here to work in the mills for next to no money. Um, but, you know, you've got some really, really recent immigrants out there in trucks, sometimes two, if not three of them, uh, pooping in the bucket and on the road nonsense, driving <laughs> things down. Like, how how do you combat that? Like like if you've got people willing to do it for nothing, if you've got people out there cutting your throat nonstop, what how, what do you what do you do that that allow these uh, you know the big corporations to be able to put profit above all? And if you know you're not going to hold this rate cheap enough, someone's going to. 
Uh, and you've got companies who are sponsoring, you know, folks that come in and do it for next to nothing because it's a way better life than they had wherever they were. And I understand that. But uh, how, how do you compete with that? Like, what do you do? To, yeah, it, that? It's, 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 it's problematic. There, there's no doubt. Um, again, I'm not pretending to have all the answers. I love to have the discussion for people to bring up scenarios like this. So we all kind of understand what's, what's happening in, in, in a better, a better perspective so we can make decisions on, on probably what we need to do. But, uh, you know, I, I think it all, it all goes back to attaching some, some sort of value to people's time and not basing it per mile or a percentage of load. I guess the percentage of load thing works if you're an owner operator and the per mile works if you're the business owner or the operator, but if you're paying employees, time has to be a part of that in some way, shape or form, exactly what it looks like. I don't know. One thing I can tell you is I enjoy dealing with the technology of the trucks and figuring out gear ratios and stuff like that <laughs> way, way more than I like dealing with this, but it, 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 as a person, as, as, you know, looking at, looking at my drivers, um, you know, you kind of, you kind of get a heavy heart looking at what's going on in the industry. And as long as I've been in the industry and things have really not improved or gotten any better over the years, in fact, it's probably gone the other way. Um, I I would just like to be able to make it, make a difference in some way, shape or form in that regard. I kind of think I might've left my impact a little bit on the industry as far as, you know, the, the, the down speeding and, and whatnot and the fuel efficiency. And, and that's all great. But, uh, I think maybe it's time to, to see what else I can, I can do to just, you know, help raise that standard of living, um, across the board for the employee driver. There you go. Well, that's uh, the next mission. I, I think that if some of our owner operators, I'll, I'll continue my man crush on told here. I think he's, he's moved up a couple of points today, even, uh, if people listen to what Joel's doing here with the, with the specking of his truck and, and getting the efficiency that he does on the small business end, let's get back to that because that's really our, our people. I mean, it's in this moment when it's going to be survival of the fittest out there, you know, and you, if you want to call it a bloodbath or whatever's coming up in the industry, you need to listen. Like you need to be in the right truck or modify your truck to do kind of what his does. He's out there proving concept for all of you and his business, and he's got a nice, strong business because of it. But, uh, you know, the single truck out there running around needs to listen to what's, what's going on here, what he, what, what, you know, what, what Joel's putting out. Uh, it's, you know, this is a time when I think you can flourish. I, I think that the guys who we're going to get rid of some of the, some of the bottom feeders pretty quickly, I hope. Uh, there are going to be others that are out there doing stuff for too cheap that are eventually going to go out of business. But, uh, you know, listen to what Joel's doing and be as efficient as we possibly can. And, you know, me, I, I'd, I'd love to tinker some more. I mean, I hope when Joel gets his new truck, we get to play around with some stuff on it that I'd like to play with. But, um, and maybe, you know, even farther proof concept and maybe even find some more fuel mileage. Speaking of which, it was my new truck was released from the factory yesterday. It goes to the mod center to get some of the uh, EAPU and stuff, uh, hung on it. Uh, I'll probably be down in Greensboro during my next dispatch goes right by, uh, Volvo headquarters. I'm probably going to swing in and I'm expecting that I'm hoping by the end of June, I've got that thing 
out to where I can start, you know, doing some of the, uh, some of the stuff we've been talking about in regards to the suspension modifications and some other, some other ideas I have, I think, which will help to not only improve the fuel mileage, but drive down maintenance costs in a pretty significant way as well. Let's go to, uh, Mick in Iowa. Are you there this time? Yeah, I'm here. Um, great discussion. Uh, I was just kind of, it, it did beep earlier, but then I, everybody kept talking. So I was just listening. So I apologize <laughs> if I did it wrong. Kevin's struggling. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Sounds good. <laughs> oh, you know, it's, it's fascinating discussion and efficiency is a tyrant. Um, and I, I think Joel, you're doing a great thing by investing in your people. Um, I, I just finished listening to a book. I don't know who suggested it, but it's called Pastoral Song. And it might have been from Matt or maybe Joel Salatin or maybe you, Kevin. I don't, I don't remember. But anyway, it talks about a, a young boy who was raised on a farm in Great Britain. And he was kind of talking about how they went from working so hard, you know, as a child with his grandpa to, you know, bringing in the chemicals and things like that to make their lives easier. And at the end of the, um, in the middle of the book, anyway, they were realizing how they just had destroyed their soil by being efficient because they were doing what, what, uh, everybody else was doing and trying to compete. And we do the same thing with, with, I think it's, I think it's in every industry to a point we, we use up our resources, whether it be our health or our people or our equipment, you know, that's another thing, you know, you, Kevin, you talk about as times get harder, you know, people start slacking on oil changes or, or maintenance, you know, we use up our equipment to try to maintain our income and we hurt ourselves in the long run. And, and in the meantime, you know, we have these huge corporations that have figured out how to manipulate us into doing these things and it enriches them and we're left with nothing at the end. And I, I, I don't know what the answer is either. Maybe just having the wisdom to show restraint, like it says in the Bible and Proverbs, you know, I don't know what the answer is, but how do you maintain, I, I, there's got to be a way to have the wisdom to stay within your means. Um, and I, you know, I don't know when everyone else is doing everything around you, you're forced to make choices that end up being hurting ourselves in the long run. And I don't think we even realize it until it's too late. Well, I'll, I don't think we're forced. And I, I think, you know, some of the things that Joel has talked about point this out. And we know that there are businesses and, you know, fleets that don't suffer the same issues because they didn't get greedy. They weren't hogs. They, and that's, you know, we also could have learned this in elementary school from the fable, you know, Jack and the Beanstalk. You can't kill the goose. Oh yeah. You know, you you can't kill the goose. And and when you when you become a hog in business and you just go out and grab everything you can grab, you're killing the goose. And then when the economy does turn like this, that's when we see the the issues that we're about to see. Um 
you know, the, this business that I'm in right now, it's one of the more challenging when it comes to this because the goose for me is trust. People tune into the show, they listen, they buy things from us, they pay us for things because they trust us. And one of the things I've always had to fight with on on partners, we partner with companies because we want to bring more value to our listeners and our tribe and our customers. But every now and then you get somebody that doesn't understand that concept that you can't kill that trust. You know, I, I could come on here and I could do a blitz for two or three months where I just kept bringing in products and people would buy it. If I just said, look, I did all the work. This is the best product ever. People would buy it because I've built that trust, but it wouldn't take me long to kill that trust. If I were to just try to take advantage of the fact that people will listen and they, if I say, look, you should buy this and hear all the reasons, they'll go do it. I know they will, but I could also kill that trust pretty darn quickly. I agree, but I think also because it happens so incrementally, we don't realize we're doing that often. Oh, Absolutely. Absolutely. It, that, that's why running a business isn't easy and it's not for everybody. There, There's a lot like that that you've got to think about. You know, now the the industry and the business of trucking, pretty challenging. There's an awful lot of competition out there. And when everybody starts doing things that cut corners and, and sometimes it, it's very tempting to do the same, but you find the successful companies don't do that. They find other ways of solving those issues. Let's, uh, let's go to Illinois. Steve, welcome to the program. Oh, well, thanks for taking my call. I, I thought I, uh, Tuned into the Progress Channel there. I, I, I had to listen for a while. <laughs> uh, but, uh, it, it, it's Friday. You never know what to expect around here on Fridays. Never know what's going to yeah. happen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I've got this figured out, though. I, uh, my boss is just thrilled with me. I, my last fill-up. Uh, cost me forty one cents a mile, and a, and a fuel surcharge is seventy five cents a mile. So wow, happy. <laughs> wow, that's that's crazy! Holy cow! I you know I it it was kind of nicer when you, uh, I was below twenty cents a mile, but uh, those times are long gone now. But uh, yeah, so fuel see, surcharge wasn't that much then. But, do they now actually believe that your truck gets the fuel mileage it does, or do you still have to pump some into your into your VW and then buy things to make No, no, this, this this is in my truck. This is in my truck. I, uh, yeah, I remember you, you used to have to get rid of fuel though, as I recall. Oh you yes, know. yes. Uh, you remember yeah, that? Yeah, you were. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I had to. Uh, yeah, I had to give my fuel away so that I stayed <laughs> under the the uh, what was it nine miles. <laughs> 
Yeah, nine miles to the gallon, and they, uh, if you got over that, they'd kick you down to four, you know. And, uh, yeah, if, if they yeah, I was getting over nine, they'd they beat them down. They said, they, there's no way your truck gets over nine. It wasn't allowed. Yeah. <laughs> hey, hey, guys, you're... I've made, I've made, peace, I've made peace with the uh, fuel tax department, and I can't get over 14 now. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know, not, it's ten, pumped it up. ten was ten was the new nine, and then eleven was the new ten, and then uh, twelve was the new eleven, and right now thirteen is the new twelve. So I haven't quite got there yet. But hey, so I got to watch myself. I might have to be giving fuel away again. You know, this is starting to sound like Common Core math here. Um, and it's making <laughs> and it's making me feel really old because the first time I had to fight with FedEx, well, it was RPS at the time. The first time I had to fight with RPS about this issue, we were fighting about seven and a half miles to the gallon. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I, I had that kind of uh, well. star too. Yeah, there's no way you can be doing that with that truck. No. Right? Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> You're the man. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, it's it's like the first guy that uh, broke the four minute mile or whatever it was, you know. And then after he did it, everybody started doing it. So. Uh, success breeds success, I guess, you know. That's, that's competition. That's how it works. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah. And the, the cool thing now about I, you, uh, I get the modern stuff doing it. I don't know why anyone's not gone down your path with some older equipment. Uh, it just, it, it amazes me. It, it, it's one thing, you know, not to discount what Joel does here, but I mean, it's one thing for Joel to get the numbers he gets with what he has and, and, and Dick Morrow to get the stuff he does. I, I understand that. And that's what those things should do. They've been working hard to get it there. I mean, the manufacturers and the drivers and the right mods and so forth. But the fact that you do it with that thing of yours is pretty amazing. Well, you know, the people say that uh, I, my truck's not an aerodynamic truck. Well, you know, I, I, I kind of <laughs> turned it into a Mac hybrid. And the people that don't think it's aerodynamic has never been underneath my truck. It, it, it's the smoothest truck out there. So that brings up another thing, uh, uh, John. You were talking about the air dam on uh, freight liners. You know, that go down so low. I I see a lot of those freight liner uh, air dams uh, damaged because you can't uh, straddle a a rack, dead raccoon in the road or whatever. And you, you break that stuff. And when I just had an air dam that went straight down, I gained nothing. It wasn't until I put the splitter. So yeah. my idea was to all that air that's below the splitter, you just kind of leave it there and, you know, smooth out the rest of it. And uh, uh, it works pretty good. That's that's when I started seeing gains with working on uh, the underneath of the truck. So Yeah, you know. Um, you know, if I... If it, Go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, I was going to say Freightliner does a lot of testing on 84 through the gorge. And I was just following one um, the other day, one of their test trucks, and it had some of the craziest ground effects on it I've ever seen. Not practical in the real world <laughs> at all. I mean, this stuff, it looked nice, um, but I can't imagine trying to deliver freight with this thing. Yeah. <laughs> 
again, do we specialize trucks to a point where that one's just so P to P, you know, spoken of? Maybe stuff? so. Just, yeah. You know, you, you, you do, you know, again, efficiency is efficiency, right? I mean, if you, you know, you couple that with like some platooning or something and, and rework the way the whole supply chain uh, functions and, and make sure those trucks don't have to do deliveries, right? Yeah, not good going point. To. You know, that, that aero package is going to go from one hub to another. And, you know, the things out there on the spokes will obviously have a different spec. But, uh, yeah, you limit that. Just, just a thought. Yep. Yeah. All right, Steve, anything else on your mind today? Oh, not really. Well, I, uh, my plans are uh, on their way to the plastic uh, people, so the uh, prototype should be coming out pretty quick and some stuff, so hopefully we'll see some stuff soon for the trailer. So. Good, good. We'll look forward to uh, it. All right, uh, we are going to wrap this up for the week. John, Joel, anything you guys want to end with? Uh, I'm good. Yeah, I I just uh, looking forward here to getting my new truck out on the road. Uh, we'll be seeing a whole lot more of it, and uh, uh, I'll try and get a lot more updates and stuff going on um, inside the, the nine mile a gallon club, which I haven't been posting a lot in as of late, but uh, that should change. Basically, you know, I've been driving around the fleet truck that other people are in and out of, and so it's really hard uh, to keep any accurate numbers. I've been putting some stuff up when I have, you know, runs that I'm in the entire time, obviously, but uh, I can park this thing in the yard and somebody may jump in it and, you know, go <laughs> deliver loads around locally yeah. and come back, and then all your yeah. numbers are gone. So yeah. my next one will be another dedicated truck, so it should be interesting to see. Um, John, I'll have to get a hold of you so we can chat a little bit yeah. more about um, getting things set up for this thing and, and uh, going from there. Sounds good. All right. Awesome. Talk All right. Soon. Appreciate it. We'll do this again next week. Uh, it's a long holiday weekend. I won't see you back here till Tuesday, but we'll see you then for the power hour. Be safe, be profitable, be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey. Have a great weekend, everyone.